thinking it would be a little bit of a slow night, but apparently we had some last minute drop-ins, which is always great. So um, welcome to everybody again. Uh, I'm Cujo. We got Dan. We got Dave. Uh, Alex will not be joining us this evening because he is racing. So he is at champs. So um, best of luck to him. And hopefully uh, he does really well. Um and, and doesn't champs, break his champs stuff. Is multi multi has his his one drone. <laughs> champs is multi GP and have happening in Florida. Mm-hmm. So um it's a light news week, to be honest. Um there are some big well, there's one bigger story I would say. But um the rest is kind of small, but I am going to share this. Let me this so this is this is coming from obviously uas weekly let me drop the link in the channel here i am a little bit behind here okay so um this comes from uas weekly uh the drone announces a successful citywide airspace security deployment so, uh, long story short with this is D-Drone is a um, market leader in airspace security. Uh, they do a lot of uh, drone detection type stuff. And they are saying that they are able to deploy their technology across um, basically a city. Um, think about something like this in terms of like a historical site um or something like that uh where they can you know limit the amount of uh drone activity in those areas um they are stating and this is interesting i don't know um <laughs> i don't know a lot about the drone to be honest obviously some others do but um they're stating that their um software and trackers can detect up to 300 different types of dr- drones just based on uh, signals emitted or uh, visual characteristics. Um, and they also state that their uh, software is gonna able, enable their customers to uh, read and interpret data from both UA, uh, US and European Union uh, remote ID data. So um, it was pretty interesting. I did go to um, D-Drone's website just to kind of see, but obviously um, they give you a, a, a very brief rundown in these little flashcards, but the second you want to dive deeper into their stuff, it's locked behind, uh, oh, send us, uh, you know, send us a uh, your email address and we'll send you information. And I hate stuff like that. If you're going to be upfront about it, be upfront about it. Don't try and hide behind, you know, marketing ploys. But at the same time, pretty interesting. This is the kind of stuff that I don't like about remote ID is, um, you know, certain organizations keying in on that information and providing it to their private customers on a, you know, uh, always on kind of basis. Um, it feels too you know, big brother to me as if remote ID wasn't big brother enough, but, um, it's a little, little odd, but, uh, um, one of the interesting, more interesting articles I saw this week, any thoughts on, 
on that. Apparently, XJet is not a fan. <laughs> I see that. You know, I, I did an investigation into D-Drone when they were sort of making a lot of noise a while ago. They put a video up, a promotional video, showing a phantom dropping drugs into a prison through the window, which was actually a vertical window. So the phantom was somehow able to get the drugs from the phantom into the window of the prison and it was like complete fiction utter fiction anyone that knew anything about drones <laughs> realized this was utter utter uh, <laughs> bs to use the the abbreviation and <laughs> it, it, that shot their credibility to hell and back and th they've never been really delivering on anything they've promised as far as i'm aware um, i could be wrong always like to be wrong but yeah it's just another one of these county oes companies that sees an opportunity to yeah. promise the earth and deliver a pile of dirt and it's funny too. Every time I go, you know, news hunting uh, for articles for the town hall, uh, and just you know what's going on in the space, it's. I think honestly that there are more counter UAS companies than there are drones in the sky sometimes, <laughs> because everybody seems to want to be in on this space. And I, there's a new company every time I look. Uh, that I've never heard of, and it's all, it's, it's getting a little it's, ridiculous. It's also interesting. I'm on the drone and sundry webcast um, mm -hmm. from SUAS News, and we've invited D Drone to appear on the program many, many times, and they've steadfastly refused because I think they realised they'd get ripped to pieces by people who know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, it's pretty interesting. I'd never, to be honest with you, I'd never heard of D Drone until you know I, I found this article, but. Uh, you know, always willing to uh, check out, you know, a new counter UAS company. Voltronics brings up a, a good point, which is uh, taking a, a drone out of the sky in the United States uh, is a felony. Uh, so it's uh, taking down an aircraft. And so it's uh, more than uh, just an FAA uh, regulation. So that's positive. And uh, but we still have some uh, significant work to do. And uh, uh, that is, of course, that uh, remote ID identifies the location of the operator, and that's uh, causing uh, issue. And uh, uh, happily, uh, Vic Moss, uh, a colleague, as well as uh, a DAC member, is uh, taking this up uh, with the FAA, and they're, they're listening, and uh, so we'll see if anything happens. We do know that uh, DHS very much wants uh, real-time identification of the location of the operator. And, of course, there's two different sets of uh, location one if it's a standard remote id uas one if it's a a uas with a broadcast module yeah so and the difference between those is if it's a standard remote id i.e one that uh, has it built in and these would be like your standard dji skydio you know type drones um your uh drone itself will broadcast its location and your transmitter is supposed to broadcast its location now, second to that is, um, you know, with the broadcast module, the drone is doing all the work. It will report its location, but it will also report its takeoff location. So, which will identify, you know, theoretically uh, where the operator is. Uh, Unless you take off and run. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, though. Did you see that someone was attacked flying their drone in Honolulu or something, in Hawaii or something? Um, yes, the other day. Yeah. And it shows that there is this very real risk of attack when you're being yeah. when you're focused on flying a drone. So I, I and the FAA has not given any credible reason why they can't encrypt that particular piece of the remote ID stream so it's not available to the public. Uh, all right. they say is call the police when you get mugged. That's to me that's totally unacceptable. 
I'd say there's well, been more cases of people being attacked what... flying drones than drones hitting aircraft. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. We've six over five years. So, yeah, um, that's what Vic Moss is uh, so explicitly. We've had a number of um, uh, flight or pilots, part, uh, part 107 pilots, attacked uh, as well as uh, their drones destroyed. So, yeah, we've, um, you know, firearms involved, people being beat up. That's what we're um, uh, going through right now. And that that's what we're putting on the table as a complaint. And uh, Bruce, that's exactly uh, the recommendation we've been having is, you know, come on, let's just encrypt, you know, that, you know, so you want um, public safety or law enforcement to get the, the location of the operator? Fine, but not the general public. But every time that Certainly. comes up, the FAA gives a very convoluted answer saying, yes, we understand it's an issue. We're looking into We're it. We're doing it for safety and they, <laughs> right. and it, it's DHS. Yeah. And then, and we've just, we've been on this since the response to the NPRM yeah. as well. And there, I mean, there's a couple different levels too, right? So, you know, there's the distraction level. You've got a drone pilot who's flying and somebody comes up and either, you know, and we've all had it happen, right? You're, you're flying and somebody wants to know the, the particulars and, you know, there's that shirt floating around. Yes, it goes fast. It can go really high, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the, the issue is, is that becomes now a, a distracted pilot. And um, while you may have a spotter that can uh, mitigate some of those questions or concerns, then you've got, you know, the, the bigger uh, issue of people who obviously don't approve of drones and they come up yelling and screaming and and um, that becomes even a bigger distraction and distraction is a bad deal when it comes to anything that's moving through the air um, as distraction can lead to an accident which at which point the you know if if something god forbid tragic happens um, then the the drone pilot will be held responsible for the issues of you know, being distracted while somebody else is, is yelling. And then even there, further than there, that, you've got assaults and, and you know, that kind of thing. There was so. a, an, an indictment and, uh, of the, uh, a Florida man. So that, and he, <laughs> he had the, uh, the wisdom to take a, uh, a sheriff's department drone out of the sky with a rifle. So wow, yeah. that one's so, a 15 year old boy as well. Yikes. I'm robbed. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't see the FAA cool. going back on this at all because it's like the main point of remote ID is that the public can identify the drone that's flying over their head with their phone. But here's the thing is like, yeah, there's a drone. So call the people who can, <laughs> you know, find that information. You know, I'm I'm honestly there's certain circumstances, you know, where I'm perfectly fine law enforcement having that kind of information or first responders. You know, you've got a forest fire and, and some dingleberry decides that they want to fly their drone to see the fire. Well, you're impeding access to, you know, to the fire planes and, and helicopters and stuff that need to actually be over there. And entire uh, divisions of these things will have to be stood down anytime a drone, they detect a drone. And that's a bad deal. So identifying who that person is, yeah, I'm for that. Because if you don't, What's the ramifications of, of not being able to get your, your fire planes in the air, right? So, you know, it, it's a whole, you know, there's certain things where I'm okay with. Um, there's other things where it's just like, mm, yeah, no. But, you know, it's something that needs to be worked out. And I feel like um, 
and we've always said this that only certain parties need to have access to that information so anywho i'll get off my soapbox <laughs> on that <laughs> it's a rather tall soapbox <laughs> all right so um i'll say the most interesting thing for last but um skydio um which i was able uh this last goodness when was that was that last week that i went or the week before last i can't remember but i did go to the az drone fest um for a couple hours um happened on uh grand canyon university campus uh small event but um definitely some cool things happening there and i got to actually you know see a skydio drone for the first time um pretty impressive little uh pieces of equipment but skydio and axon um if you're not familiar who Axon is, Axon is a company who um, they own uh, Taser uh, International, um, which is headquartered here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, they also uh, do a lot of uh, they they have developed and, and implement body cams uh, for police officers, um, and they also have software where. Um, that body cam footage will get input into it's called axon evidence um, and organizations who are uh, running this uh, running axon evidence and utilizing skydio drones will be able to uh, input their skydio drone footage into axon evidence and have it kind of cataloged in there for review um, i do believe axon also is kind of like a third-party reviewer of said body cam slash now skydio drone footage um so i'm not 100 percent on that so don't quote me on that but um they uh skydio and axon have partnered up with that um so uh pretty interesting how if if first responders or or police are going to be using skydio uh as their their chosen drone solution or uas solution then um if they're utilizing um other axon products then they can kind of merge it all together so that was kind of interesting what are your guys' thoughts on drones and police buddy <laughs> yeah i'm yeah. they're, they're, a, they're, they're a useful tool for sure mm -hmm. but definitely uh, a lot of people have concerns about police in general and uh, more tools mm -hmm. to allow them to do things that they may not approve of. So long as I can get I my phone out and tell exactly where the operator <laughs> is standing, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, we had the. Uh, I, I got to meet. I got to meet one of the seventeen uh, fire department of New York uh, full-time drone pilots, and so this is uh, uh, a they uh, uh, come out and. Uh, staff uh, large fires around uh, Manhattan and they're uh, uh, tied in with uh, the incident commander and so providing great assistance and they've been in in service now three years so and, and grown to uh, uh, to 17 pilots and a couple of them are getting interested in FPV which is a great thing they're nice. probably they're, they've been flying uh, uh, large um, DJI drones they just need to hover and uh, way and uh, monitor and they've uh, been proven really useful so to me from that perspective you know could be invaluable and uh, and that it's a it's a great uh, surveillance of an of an emergency 
Mm-hmm. So we got uh, Volatronics said they still need to obey property rules and warrant needs. And this was actually a discussion many years ago I had uh, with uh, some Phoenix police officers uh, regarding this. And this one in particular, he was... Uh, um, I met him when he was doing off-duty work, but he wrote a lot of the kind of um, regulation suggestions for Phoenix Police, and we were talking a lot about drones and drone use. And and one of the things that um, he said is that it would be a very complex kind of warrant uh, or needs-based um, idea to utilize drones. And I haven't, you know, since then, to be honest, I haven't... Um, done any kind of deep dive into you know how different departments are utilizing them or you know the the process in which that they're required to go through to uh use them but uh you know i'm actually curious now so i might i might dive down yeah, that rabbit I, hole i guess i used <laughs> the word sur- surveillance and i should have said to surveil and yeah. certainly their, their drones are being actively uh, used uh, in search and rescue with um clears and the Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Other uh, infrared type cameras. Yep. I I assume sort of... NASA's comment there is relating to the, the uh, especially in Canada where the police have flown their drone into aircraft a couple of times now. <laughs> Oops. Well, you know. <laughs> He's <Oops>. like, yep. <laughs> and, and this is why we need remote ID. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, you know, let's hope uh, some of these uh, departments have uh, somebody good who's trained on how to use these things. So, um, safety, re- safety relies on hope a lot these days. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if only there was as oh. many companies out there uh, trying to teach pol- police and firemen how to fly as there are companies out there trying to knock drones out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. All right, so uh, last before we get to um, uh, our probably more thought-provoking article, um, this one I actually saw before I searched it, and I had to go see if there was a news article oh. on it. I, I got, I got so, an email about this one, I think, too, from Airviews. But, uh, yeah, I, I saw this one on Twitter uh, probably yesterday or the day before. Um, so Anthony, it's a commercial basically, um, where, uh, um, Anthony Edwards, who is a point guard for, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves walks into an office and he literally puts a basketball down on the ground, puts a Cinewhoop essentially down on the ground. He's like, Hey, can I borrow your office for a second? It <laughs> sits on the basketball with a pair of DJI goggles on and, you know, proceeds to, to fly through the office and, there's different, like he goes and harasses the the mascot, and um, the mascot tries to kind of swat it out of the air, and he goes and you know messes with a bunch of people, um, <clears throat> and then he ends up uh, running into A Rod, who is uh, one of the team's new owners, and uh, I think he knocks the drone down with a baseball or something like that. But it was pretty, it was a cute video, and it was funny. And Drone DJ is saying it's possible that he isn't actually the pilot. And I don't think he is. I I went, I kind of went a little deeper and there was a company that, and I can't remember the name of the company, but there was a company that had done the the work, but 
it's cool that to see you know somebody of a you know kind of celebrity status uh and and fpv drones kind of making it mainstream and and stuff like this it's definitely a really neat thing yeah i believe the uh, the company that was really behind this video was the same one that made that uh bowling alley video that sort of went viral a couple months back yep and it's yeah it's a drone video company from the twin cities area so my neck of the woods if i can play this video here Watch his thumbs. Does it look like he's flying? Yeah, it kind of does, yeah. definitely sort of a popular format these days to go fly around some business like that yeah it is i think cinewhoops have done a lot of great things for fpv and and even just media oh it was a baseball bat <laughs> So pretty cool. Uh, definitely a neat thing. Yeah, see, if that had uh, remote right. ID on it, the uh, guy who knocked it out of the air could have figured out who was the pilot and where they were. <laughs> I think it was stage volatronics. I think uh, um, every every bit of that was actually scripted, but it was still a cool video. Um, <clears throat> all right, so last but not least, um, so... An, You'll have to forgive me because I've been working a whole heck of a lot lately. So I haven't had an opportunity to actually read through the response. But um, this comes from the UAV Law News and Discussion uh, Facebook group. And um, Brendan had basically made a comment on um, the well, RDQ response. First of all, he's pointing out that a new... Uh what a brief was it that was yes. posted? Yeah, it was a new response. Um, and this will be the last response before um, arguments go to the oral stage. Um, I don't know if you can zoom in on that at all, but the font's super tiny can... for us. Okay. Or just bra zoom in your browser at all. Yeah, that's yeah. a little better. Yeah, that he posted that there's a, the petitioners in that case have filed a, their brief. Whatever. I don't know enough about legal cases to know what that means uh, i believe the petitioners would be rdq slash tyler brennan so um right. basically the, the way this works is that um tyler and his his team submitted their essentially complaint in the lawsuit and then um the faa was able to respond to the complaint in written form um and then a view C kind of stepped in and filed an amicus brief. I have not read the amicus brief. 
Um, but I know they did that. And then uh, Tyler and his team were granted an opportunity to respond to both the FAA's response and presumably the amicus brief uh, from uh, a VC. So basically what Brendan is saying here is, um, in his opinion, and Brendan is a lawyer, he was uh, lead counsel for DJI for many, many years, so he's not just some um, random guy on the internet posting his conspiracy no. theories. No, not at all. And, um, and he's going to write about dog. <laughs> if he yeah, doesn't, he, he will soon. Yeah, which, is, which is important from the perspective of uh, he no longer works for DJI, so he does not have a dog in this hunt. Yeah, so... Um, but in his, in his view, uh, the argument that FAA remote violates a privacy interest because low altitude space is actually private property, citing the Cosby case, which is a case from 1936 involving the United States Air Force and a chicken farmer, um, basically saying that his farm was in the takeoff slash landing path of this particular Air Force base, and the airplanes were scaring his chickens literally to death. And so Cosby uh, filed essentially a lawsuit, which resulted in the government performing what's called a taking. I've I've studied this <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and uh, so essentially uh, he's saying that the private property is basically basing a remote ID that it's violating a privacy interest based on Cosby is a strategic blunder. Um, if that argument is successful, it will trigger a flood of state and local regulations and prohibitions on drone use. Now, this is something that I have uh, talked about well in the past, but one of the things that had come up um, a couple years ago and is probably still sitting in a dark back room somewhere on the desk of uh, or in the drawers of the desk of Senator Mike Lee um, is that when you start breaking up uh, regulations on a state and local level versus an overriding kind of federal level, things can get messy um, in regards specifically to drone use. Um, imagine this. You're, the, the federal level has one set of, of drone regulations. Then you live, let's say, I'm going to take... A, Arizona as an example because I live here. So then the state of Arizona file uh, basically had legislates their own drone regulations. And then within that, the um, county of Maricopa, where I live, uh, has their own uh, legislates their own drone regulations. And then the city has their own and so on and so forth. So it becomes a mess. And then if I go from, let's say I go from Phoenix over down to Tucson, I've now moved not only cities, but counties, and both those could have different drone regulations than the, the ones I came from. And then couple that with, you know, per being a, let's say you run a drone business, uh, doing aerial photography or 3D mapping or, you know, any anything, and you travel from Arizona to Florida, that, you know, now you have to figure out what the drone regulations are, are there. And you could have accepted a job saying you could do it based on the regulations, you know, you get there, things change. So it just becomes this, this 
nasty spider web of regulations that you can't escape. Well, it could be even worse, and... like where I live near the county border and a city border, and I, I could be standing in one spot and fly through <coughs> three different like little tiny areas of regulations mm -hmm. that would say totally different things just from my backyard. So, you know, in terms of, of the way that this is, you know, kind of coming across, that is what Brendan is saying could be a, a problem. Um, so, it, it, you know, I'm not, I can't speak, you know, on a, on a super knowledgeable level because I haven't read the response. I did read the original brief and I did read the FAA's response. I have not read this one yet. I read so, it. Um, <laughs> I actually disagree with Brendan um, because what's being claimed is it's, it's nothing to do with control or authority in that airspace, the ability to pass rules. It is saying that if I'm operating in my own property with the reasonable expectation of privacy, then remote ID removes that reasonable expectation because it allows authorities to effectively uh, see what I'm doing in what should be a private space. And I think that's reasonable. If you're operating on your own property where you would expect to be operating privately, you should not be legally obliged to broadcast your permission or even the fact that you're flying. So in that respect, remote ID does compromise your right to, your, your right to uh, privacy. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. Um, I get what you're saying, Bruce, and I don't, I don't disagree with you on on that level, but then what you have is, and somebody I think mentioned it in the comments, so I'm 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 very unashamedly stealing what they said, was that basically then you can have companies like Amazon utilizing private property as a thoroughfare to you know kind of dodge regulations when it comes to that kind of stuff without you know so it's. It, it becomes kind of a mess. And I'm not saying that remote ID is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, I, I'm very not with that train. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't, I, I see kind of an issue where uh, if, if nobody is regulating that, that airspace in terms of what needs to happen in there, then somebody else is going to regulate it. And whether that be on a city or state, you know, local level, it, it you it's, know, it's if not you... ceding control though. It's not ceding control of the airspace in any way, shape, or form. It's totally to do with privacy. Whether you were flying a drone or sunbathing or whatever, it's totally the privacy issue, and it's the fact that um, the FAA mostly have full control over whether you can or cannot fly in your backyard, and that would supersede any uh, state or local jurisdictions. But it is the fact that you are entitled to a reasonable expectation of privacy when operating in your own private property in what should be a private area. So that it, it is taking it out of that and saying, look, it's, it, it's nothing to do with aviation. It is solely to do with the right to privacy, and that's being usurped by remote ID. All the FAA has to do is say, if you are flying on your own property where there's a reasonable expectation of privacy, you do not have to activate your remote ID because if you're on your own private property, people won't even know you're flying. So there's no need for them to say, oh, what's going on there? Mm -hmm. I get what you're I get what you're saying. And I don't disagree. Um, thoughts, Dan, Dave. Well, yeah, if you're in controlled if you're in controlled airspace, is that, you know, so you, you know, you have to get uh, Lance approval in the U.S. today and you maybe you can only fly at 150 feet a max AGL. But, you know, that's, you know. So where does where does this stop? 
it, it, it stops so, yeah. where you it, it stops where you would expect people not to be able to see your craft. If you're flying above the the fence in your property, then hey, yeah, you have to have remote ID because you're now not expecting to be considered private because people can see your drone. But if you're flying under the bushes in the back garden, then you have a right to be able to do that without having to broadcast that fact to every man and dog so they can creep in the front door of your house while you're at the back and steal your stuff. It's a little bit similar, like what TextJet <laughs> is alluding to there, like. If your drone has remote ID on it and you're flying it indoors, uh, you're broadcasting. You're, the FAA is forcing you to have remote ID, even in a, a jurisdiction that isn't theirs. Yep. Well, I don't think. I mean, I don't think that's right. I don't think if you're flying indoors, you need to have remote ID activated. You wouldn't unless it, have to, you know, but you can't. You can't buy a drone. A drone can't be sold in the United States after a year from now that doesn't have remote ID that activates you know, whether it's indoors or not because it doesn't know if it's but, indoors and you can't turn it off. Well, but built drones built by the hobbyists don't aren't required to have that. You know, you can just take the module off, right? No, but all of your off-the-shelf drones will be. Yes. Well, mind you, to put my practical hat on, who's going to be flying a drone larger than 250 grams indoors? <laughs> well, I, I have done it. <laughs> I've, bro I've, I've flown my five-inch quadcopters inside of a go-kart track, you know, indoors. So, I mean... That video we it. just watched of the Minnesota Timberwolves, that Cinewhip was well over 250 grams. Yeah. Looking from the outside, though, the U.S. situation, I, I, I'm still astounded i know that this has been this is a dictate that's been handed down to the fa you must introduce remote id it must be done but i'm still looking at what is the problem that they're trying to solve here they talk about this drone threat can someone please cite instances where drones have caused harm to people or property or or compromise national security these threats are ethereal they're, they're, they're it's a huge amount of paranoia and they say oh it's a stop bad actors but in that case why don't we have remote id on cars because i'm pretty sure that every bad actor drives a car but very few of them use drones so we're ignoring the big threat and we're just focusing on the little threat that is yet to be realized after 10 years of drone use and many many more years of model aircraft use why uh, i can't i don't understand it here from a totally security and safety perspective there isn't the case to justify this kind of um, restriction as far as i can see well and i i don't disagree i don't think there has been a case that you know in the past that justifies it i know where these security agencies are coming from, though. I mean, I can understand that aspect of, of what they think. Now, is it the appropriate way to think? I don't think so. But the potential, I, I think they're, they're seeing drones as a, a very big potential for, uh, you know, basically, let's look at it this way. I mean, let's call it what it is, flying bombs, right? Uh, uh, you know, the potential is there for it. Now, whether somebody actually implements it or utilizes it, um, is another story, but and that takes us back to the vehicle. Though the cars have been mm -hmm. used as bombs, it's been proven. Absolutely. We've had a truck no, I know. outside the FBI headquarters, or whatever, in, in you know, with the Unibomber, you know, the bomber, you know, um, yeah. Oklahoma City bombing. So we've got a mm -hmm. proven risk there. What we have at the moment is an imagined, a theoretical risk, and we're taking all these steps to try and control a theoretical risk, but not taking the same steps towards controlling the proven risks. Which me seem to me seems like mopping up the drink marks on the bar of the Titanic while there's an iceberg coming <laughs> through the side. I think part of this, <laughs> this is just <laughs> totally my opinion, but it, it goes back again to that broadcasting the location of the drone operator to the public that there are people out there with some influence who have talked to regulators, Congress, whoever, and said, you know, 
my neighbors are flying drones around and spying on me and I want to know who they are and where they're flying and we need to make the public feel safer when drones are flying around and the FAA and the government's like okay great we can make you feel safer you can grab your phone you can see who's flying and why they're flying and this solves that problem that they've been been given to solve and that's why I don't think that's ever going to change um, it's part of remote ID it has to show up on a public cell phone because that's what the regulators are trying to uh, to to solve that problem of uh, the public's fear of drones. And it's stepping interesting back, because uh, stepping back uh, from uh, this, what what is you know? So what are we doing about it? And so so what we're doing is we're working with Vic Moss on areas of that we in we foresee that this will the situation of operators and pilots being attacked will get worse with remote ID. So we're taking action and talking to the FAA now, and we will support Vic if, uh, in whatever way uh, he would like support. Uh, we're also uh, continuing to work on uh, regulations that will improve the situation. And while we don't agree with all of the points that uh, uh, in uh, the Race Day Quad's uh, litigation, uh, that is obviously yet another approach to combat uh, remote ID. So I think the uh, you know we've got a a growing voice in uh, small commercial that works closely with recreational, and uh, you know we're working we are working collaboratively with uh, uh, within FPVFC to try to get regulations changed, and um, and certainly uh, Brendan, uh, pardon me, uh, Tyler Brennan is um, is taking a different approach and mm -hmm. and. The combination of all of those, hopefully, uh, we you know we're all doing something and taking action, which I think is a, a very positive thing. I've got to say though, I think if we look at the results of the last DEC meeting on the gender-specific language, I think everyone I know in the hobby is vehemently opposed to our quadcopters or our model aircraft being called drones. So the, it shows you how little clout we have as a hobby when the DEC has agreed to change it from unmanned aerial systems to drones. We just don't figure anymore. You may be working very hard, Dave, but the effect of that work is 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 nowhere near um, what it should be, given the proportion of uh, users that we represent compared to the commercial users. And I, I feel very sorry for the hobby because we're just totally underrepresented and things are happening like we're being, our name of our product, our craft are being changed to drones when that's the one thing everybody in the hobby agrees with. We don't want to be called drones. So we had virtually no no say in that. The funny thing is, and, and my kind of response to that is, is, you know, one of the things I do for this town hall every week is is search out articles. And um, every time I, you know, it used to be when I typed in drone, you know, drones or, you know, drone news or, you know, any of the things I searched for using the word drone, I would get, you know, a variation of military grade stuff. I would get, a you know, some you know, DJI stuff, I'd get a little bit of FPV stuff, I'd get a little bit of everything, right? Uh, last couple, probably in the last two months, uh, drones, the word drones is basically associated with military-grade drones right now. Um, and I would agree with you that I don't want them called drones. Um, unfortunately, that name isn't going anywhere. It's, you know, it, it's basically stuck. And it's not, you know, I think from the beginning, um, we, you know, we as a community maybe didn't oppose it enough, but 
the retail you know side of this coin are the ones that coin terms for what things are going to be called uh yeah. when it comes to this kind of stuff now it's and, getting enshrined and, in the nomenclature in, though in point of in but, point of fact we in point of fact in the uh, gender neutral uh activity we had a lot to say i ran the research on that and so uh, there, we did, in fact, have uh, a very strong voice in that. Uh, yes, uh, the the FAA took the uh, took it on themselves to make the change with respect to the word drone, but I I honestly don't feel that was the most important uh, change or uh, piece of work that was uh, done in the in the gender neutral uh, DAC tasking. It's it it will it's across the FAA. It'll be cross agency. And from a perspective of helping uh, girls and young women, very positive. The thing, as I mentioned in my video, it's actually replacing a gender neutral term with a gender specific one. It's completely the opposite of what should have done. Mankind, in the yeah, opinion I, of dictionary, I, yeah, I concede, man, mankind, I, concede you know. I concede on the term drone. You won't get any arguments from me there, but as I say, you know, it's to focus just on that term, you know, I, I think loses the picture of the larger context. Yeah, but I, what I'm pointing out, though, is you probably work very hard to try and avoid this. But the one thing that we as a hobby would have felt really grateful for is to not have us lumped in with military grade things. And we are now. We, the drone is the term. It's the all embracing term. As a hobby, if we had any clout at all, we should have been able to use that to say, no, we are not drones. Aircraft are not drones. Please exclude us from that definition or, or do something. Because otherwise, we, you know, the big problem we've had is that people with DJI Phantoms and Mavics going down filming airports. You know, that's the big, they say it's big, but when was the last? time you heard of that actually happening it's not a big thing anymore um and so we get lumped in with that no one has i've never seen a story where um someone complained that someone was flying a foam model of a piper cub over their backyard filming their daughter by the swimming pool i've never seen freestyle quads causing us <laughs> anywhere near the issues that that a dji drone drone causes and i call a dji product a drone because it has the ability to fly itself whereas freestyle quads will not fly themselves model aircraft will not fly themselves so we need to make that distinction but here's the thing though is is you know let, let's look at look at it from a different perspective, okay? So we have things called airplanes, okay? There are many different types of airplanes that exist out there, but they're all grouped under the nomenclature, you know, airplane, okay? So same thing here. If you're flying a drone, and if it, let's say I'm talking to somebody at work who has no idea, you know, what a multi-rotor is. If I say the word drone, an image pops into their head of, of probably something DJI, but, you know, that image pops into their head, it's instantly recognizable. And then you can go into the discussion further on down the rabbit hole of, well, actually, what I fly is called a multi-rotor, so on and so forth. I fly FPV. What's FPV? Well, I wear a pair of goggles. And you can go down that rabbit hole, right? But, you know, I don't... I Honestly, the word itself has never bothered me. It's an easy way to describe things to people, and they pretty much get what you mean um yeah i don't like the association with a military grade piece of hardware but at the same time it's a it's a you know greater group of things that you in a conversation can bring down to the level where you need it to be um now that's not to say that the media is going to do that but i mean the the other the other presentation at the dac was very important and i'm afraid it was also very opaque and we're we will uh work to tried to bring some clarity to that. And that was the tasking group 11 on the uh, safety foundation. And so the, the key takeaway that I tried to 
um, reference in that discussion was the target level target level of safety. And so for those of us who were reading the uh, operations over people NPRM in the beginning of 2019, where remember that the FAA was all um, interested in pushing the notion of uh, minimizing kinetic energy. And they had a, a rate of 11 foot pounds, which meant that uh, we would have to slow most of our five inch drones down to about 20 miles an hour in order to achieve that level or, or put parachutes on them. And so happily, that whole notion of kinetic energy was thrown out when the rule for operations over people was uh, released. And so this target level of safety is the one of the foundation metrics uh, for the safety regimen, which means every rule that we see from now forward, if this, rec if this DAC recommendation is accepted by the FAA, will have that in it and incorporated instead of number of uh, fatalities, which was uh, uh, their, rec their proposed recommendation. So a, an enormously important and uh, yet again another uh, situation where we had uh, a pretty strong say in this. I was uh, uh, at first interested in push in throwing out the, uh, the number of deaths as the safety foundation, talked then to Google Wing people, and uh, we put forward uh, this uh, target level of safety. So a, a rather important piece of work, and uh, I'm very optimistic that the FAA will accept that view. Yeah, it's really hard for people to watch that DAC meeting and have any idea what was going on during that tasking group meeting because they were talking about this document as if everybody had it memorized and read that's not public, that nobody who's watching the stream has any idea what they're talking about other than this nebulous white paper. Um, so it's, it, it, I just even watching that part of the video multiple times, you just can't quite grasp what they're talking about and they try to explain that's it to people. It's a really good point. And the, that's the situation when, so we were given, you know, the, that tasking was 90 days, was under, there was a lot of contention, lots of arguments before the fact. So it would just, you know, ran right up to the clock and uh, had it produce the, uh, the report and slides and it was opaque. Yeah. And, you know, there were, you know, there's not, there weren't good graphics, not good, uh, you know, pictograms or, uh, uh, or, or videos that we could uh, help explain it. Well, as I say, we'll work to try to explain that oh, over time. And it's I think really I'll, important. Also, while he was going through the slides during the meeting, there was a missing slide or two that he was trying to talk about that wasn't even <laughs> in the actual presentation during the live meeting. I, I, I think he kept going back and forcing. Oh, I guess they've got an older version of the slide deck or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was on. That was uh, Manny. Um, Dexcheck said, "Did uh, did we consider the risk of uh, a uh, UAS actually killing someone?" And the answer to that is yes. And so, and so that was one of the points that I made is that you know so statistically, if we use a calculation of numbers of deaths, this is a, a you know it's lunacy to come up with that type of a calculation. What you know what are we measuring? You know it's it it's not valid, and it's completely valid with uh, airlines, because, you know, people die in airlines as they have, uh, uh, unfortunately, with the 737 MAX. So the 
target level of safety has the probability of fatality, but it also has a energy calculation in it as well as it accounts for the frangibility or the structure of the aircraft. So if I make a, um, a UAS or a drone uh, out of foam and it imparts less energy, that uh, makes the whole aircraft safer because if I hit someone, I have a lower probability of killing them. So yeah, we did talk about fatalities. Uh, I, I, I know you're, it was somewhat tongue-in-cheek, uh, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a good and very serious uh, conversation. We looked at uh, other industries, notably uh, automotive, with uh, our NTSB and uh, lots of numbers and statistics there. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> and see, one thing I'd like to see in those DAC meetings is when when people speak, if they can introduce themselves and tell us their affiliation to the industry or the hobby or whatever it is, so we're reminded who's representing what. Well, one, that's an interesting point, Bruce, because I've had the, now the uh, privilege of uh, presenting at the DAC three times. And when you're presenting, you're not representing your company. And uh, it's, you know, it's you're representing the group's work. Right. And it's usually mm. about 20 to 25 people. And that's why it's so critically important to always show who was on the, the team and who talked. And that that's uh, you know, be, because you get a uh, a good view of, um, you know, oh, so there was one person from recreational, that was Messina, and then there's uh, manned aviation, there, um, and then there are always, always uh, representation from uh, ALPA, Airline Pilots Association, uh, AOPA, uh, Aircraft Owners Pilots Association, and frequently HAI, Helicopter um Association International, all uh, very well-funded, uh, bright people uh, with an extreme agenda of their of their own. I mean, you know, it's, so yeah, it's important to know who who the authors of the paper are. We should probably go before we run out of time. Go over some of the other highlights of the DAC meeting from last Wednesday. Yeah, um, <laughs> we could start off with uh, the first. Well, I guess one and a half, two topics, which could be a whole hour conversation on their own, that the uh, the DAC is no longer called the DAC, or at least they're proposing to change its name but from the DAC to the, okay, to the AAAC, or AAAC, yep. which stands for the Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee. So, of course, they, they announce that, and then they say, oh, okay, so then we're going to change the name, change the focus a little bit, and we're going to add another, I think it was five expanding from 35 members to 41 and for all of like two seconds i was excited like oh great they can bring in more members maybe have some more recreational representation and then they say and those new members are going to be people with an air mobility background so then all hope were dashed and yeah now the DAC <laughs> has an even i don't know like, more, it, more, yeah more diluted because there's the, the yeah, air mobility is there is enormous uh, funding and um, engineering happening across the United States and air mobility, obviously across the world, but great interest in the United States. And so I'm very concerned that this will be a, a dilution of the focus of the uh, what was the DAC, what now is the AC. AC! Uh, <laughs> <Jay Merkel said, laughs> very appropriate. <laughs> Jay Merkel, uh, he, said, he said it reminded him of his uh, favorite uh, Mars, what was the Mars attack? 
which was, uh, if you'll remember, the Martians went, ak, 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 ak. so <laughs> that thought is now, that image is now permanently stored in my memory. <clears throat> and when, okay, when so Volatronics is asking, yep, what is air mobility? Yeah. So air mobility can be any, it could, it could be a helicopter, but let's look at it from this perspective. Uh, you know, Tesla's got self-driving cars now and, uh, pretty soon, uh, the thought will be, well, we could have, uh, you know, pilotless air transport. It's a self-driving um, air taxi. <clears throat> exactly. But, you know, you can also think of uh, an air taxi being like a giant multi-rotor that can transport, you know, let's say two, two people, four people from one destination in, let's say, New York City to another destination in New York City. Um, so that kind of uh, project. So uh, there's a couple things uh, uh, that uh, are being discussed, and one of them will for sure be uh, essentially pilotless passenger aircraft. So let's say your 747, uh, they've slowly been reducing the number of, of seats that um, uh, for the air crew in terms of in the cockpit. We've went from three to two um, and pretty soon to one. And then uh, possibly in the near future, that one pilot could be a guy on the ground who's flying it remotely. Um, and then that one pilot could then uh, potentially fly seven aircraft uh, all remotely. And then eventually, as, as AI and whatnot gets better, it could just be, you know, computer controlled. So that's kind of what they're looking at for the future of air mobility. So there's a couple different avenues that you could take that, that entire segment. So, so, so now we can see why the hobby is being even further marginalized. The space is very valuable. We can also see why they've removed the, the word unmanned because these will be manned, but they'll still be autonomous or drones. So it all falls into place, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I, well, I mean, well, my, you know, my, my glass is half full, not <laughs> half empty. So we'll just, you know, we've got to keep uh, that attitude and uh, keep slugging. I can't away. afford I mean, the bourbon to fill mine up. <laughs> so, let's see was there any uh, what else uh the dac um then it went on to the the gender neutral stuff no tams are now going to be called notices to air missions instead of notice to airmen we went over the whole drone uh, naming everything a drone thing they're going to have an inclusive the, language the, summit the safety culture one was really interesting and that's what uh what the fellow kept going on about that uh, i've got the wrong slide deck that is being punted to what is now called dst which used to be team. the uast right UAST, right and that's a that's a uh a, uh an organization that has about 80 members and the ama was a member i'm not sure if they are now <laughs> and uh, so i'm uh, i've been working to uh, join what is now the DST. We'll see how that works out. But that whole, oh, that, did, that did surprise me that that whole thing was just punted to another organization. To, yeah, this sounds good. So I have a hunch that what we will see in the future is more, um, we'll see a DAC tasking, and then it'll be pushed to the DST, and that will be akin to an ARC. It will be... Uh, pseudo rulemaking going on not pseudo it's the preparation of recommendations of uh, rulemaking which will help further uh, refine the problem 
and uh, get it solved. And uh, but it, it uh, so uh, track pulling on that thread and getting getting uh, to be part of the DST obviously is important. This is like with the one that was sent to the DST. It was almost like uh, the FAA reached out to pilots to get their feedback. Didn't like it. Brought it to the DAC. Asked them to talk to the pilots to get their feedback. Didn't really like the response they got there either. Now they're sending it off to the <laughs> this new group to see if they yeah, can get trying, a third I answer. I was trying to get a I was trying to get a read on that because uh, throughout the creation of uh, of that DAC recommendation, we were in close touch with uh, Jay Markle and a number of others in the FAA. And it was all very uh, positive. And they were uh, encouraging us to uh, uh, to make recommendations. And I've, I've been in a lot of discussions where those topics have come up. So uh, I think that's... Uh, I, 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 I take your point, Dan, but I'm... It doesn't I'm quite seem that to... way. It does not quite seem that way, yes. Um, let's see, what else happened at the DAC? Then obviously we went into that task group 11, which is difficult to understand, the whole white paper on levels of risk, and uh, FPVFC will hopefully try to distill that some more. Um, and then near the end was tasking group 12, where they're trying to um, potential, rec oh, let's see, the, an interim report on the UAS operations into K through 12 curriculums, right? And, yeah, and you this, can probably speak more about a, that, Dave. We were, uh, this is a situation we're really happy to have uh, Josh Bixler uh, as one of the members. So we've got AMA is uh, active and uh, participating. Uh, AMA has a, an education program um, flight test with Josh. Josh Bixler being the president has a, a rather large STEM uh, program. Uh, they say they got they have five thousand teachers around the world teaching their STEM program, so that's fantastic. Uh, and so it's great to have uh, Josh uh, at uh, present uh, on these uh, weekly meetings and participating, as well as uh, Chad Boudreau, as well as the uh, education lead from AMA. Um, and so we're picking the the push in that uh, group uh, from a perspective of recreational is very strong and uh, i'm i'm really thrilled about that so hopefully we'll get something uh, very productive out of that uh, we have the opportunity uh, time will be our uh, our uh, biggest challenge uh, it's an enormous enormous task uh, but uh, we've got a lot of subject matter experts uh, in the group so how did this tasking group get more time than the review of the white paper tasking group just i it was. Uh, I thought it was allocated much less. I thought it was allocated well, for about fifteen minutes. No, no, but no, not as part of the meeting, but as part of they're just giving an interim report oh. to the to the FAA now, I when see. the other one I, had a final did, report. How did, it, how did it get six months and the yeah safety foundation? Good question. There was absolutely a request back to the FAA to extend the uh, the deadline on uh, uh, TG eleven and. Uh, that that request was declined. Okay. Not saying that the K through 12 stuff uh, is not important or wouldn't take a lot of time, but you would think um, yeah, acceptable as, levels yeah. of risk is pretty important too. Yeah. I yeah having there there are 
having worked in senior management, you know, as as you move up in an organization, you just you get to realize that oh, I didn't realize that. That's why that decision was taken. So there's just there's just so much that we just don't know. And so you know the decision. You know there was a request. It was declined. You know it it could be other schedules. It could be rules that uh, you know for, with other schedules. And I, that's sure. You know, I don't think it's you know malice or uh, uh, or um, you know lack of concern. Well, the, on the positive side, the sooner they continue on with that risk, uh, acceptable levels of risk, the sooner that can get incorporated into whatever comes next. All right. Well, yeah. So I, I was just looking at uh... <laughs> reading the comments. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm looking at, at uh, Bruce's comments. Well, Bruce, you know, we're doing something. We're doing something about it. We're an all-volunteer organization, and we're making a difference. So um, I really don't appreciate the, you know, the constant negativity. We might not well, be making as much of a difference as we hope, but we are, have been making some, some difference. Absolutely, and that's what I would say. You know, it's, you know, I would say that a lot of the action over the past couple years has been you know not just us but a lot of organizations and, and companies who do side with the recreational operators and i think one of the current things that we are working with um on, with the faa is getting them to you know see the actual applicability and uh size of the uas you know recreational community um so I think with that, I think we'll see some future action that, you know, my hope is, is that we are fostering some future action that will spell some very good things for our community um, in regards to possibly separation of regulation and um, more defined uh, areas that make more sense. So, you know, like FPV is, is capable of doing these things. Uh, fixed wing is capable of doing these things. Um, of stuff and i feel like that's an approach that you know i'm excited to take um and that we've been working you know so far up to this point um i feel like the droning on after dark which was kind of pushed by the faa um and you know uh our idea um and implemented uh from their standpoint i feel like that was a big win for uh the recreational community so um and we're going to continue to push in that regard to, uh, you know, keep the FAA uh, on their toes in terms of the recreational community. So um, while, you know, certain representation we, we've, we've fussed about when it comes to, like, the DAC um, and we poke fun at, at the same time, it's important. And, you know, but that's just one avenue of an approach, um, whereas we're taking the multi-avenue approach. And um, other people are taking different approaches, and that's perfectly fine if you're, you know, whether you're Tyler or, you know, just the guy down the street that says, I'm not going to comply. I get it. Um, this particular approach has, has yielded results uh, that we're taking, and, you know, it, it may not be the exact thing that everybody in the community wants to see, but it overall has been a net benefit to the community. So just my two cents. There's also the aspect of apathy, and if if you want to sit on a couch or in front of a keyboard and just complain and whine and not do anything, that's apathetic. 
and we're doing something where we are uh, establishing a fantastic reputation within the aviation community, both the uh, drone community as well as the uh, legacy aviation community. And we're getting a larger and larger uh, uh, following and uh, support uh, in the uh, in the FPV community as well as uh, uh, FPV drone racing as well as uh, RC community. So um, it's positive. And uh, and we are all volunteer, and uh, you know, we're passionate about it, and we're doing something about it. And so uh, I choose not to be apathetic. I am still a bit optimistic. There's some good stuff that I've been seeing in the Beyond Visual Line of Sight arc, and I really hope that continues and makes its way into the final recommendation to the FAA, and hopefully it stays and at the FAA goes with those recommendations. But um, like has been posted in the chat, we we won't know until it happens. We'll just have to wait and see. And hopefully as much of that as possible will become public in the future. So I would agree with TextJet um, that bureaucracy, you know, it takes a long time for things to, to get done. Um, and, and we've seen that firsthand, but that doesn't deter us to continue to push down that path. So, yeah, there's know, an interesting uh, aspect of the timing in the FAA as, um, the drone regulations have happened at light speed in in their view, and mm -hmm. so they look they look at um, manned aviation regulations as something like uh, remote ID would have taken ten years and it took two, and so by their standard they think they're moving uh, incredibly quickly, extremely fast, yeah, and and they recognize <clears throat> that with respect to the rest of the uh, world, you know, that uh, they are not moving fast enough and have to move a lot more quickly. And that's why they are uh, changing. Uh, that's what, that's one of the reasons the TG-11 was so important. It's also uh, why they're looking to standards bodies like ASTM uh, to do a lot of the work and uh, uh, pick it up and, and move it more quickly. I would, I would agree that this seems to be moving really fast, and even with my own little tiny anecdote with working with my local city council uh, trying to get some mountain bike approval to build mountain bike trails in our local city. When we started, we were told, oh, a project like that will probably take you 10 years to get approved. Uh, it took us seven. So it, it took seven years to get approval for some, some mountain bike trails. So I mean, it was faster than expected, but uh, it does take a long time. It'll take time. Got to have patience. Got to see the long view. So here's the thing I would say is that, you know, um, while, you know, critique is absolutely welcome um, and we want to hear from everybody, I would, you know, just ask you to understand that our approach is our approach, your approach is your approach, and neither one of them is wrong. I think, you know, all approaches can yield results. Um, I think by choosing not to be combative instead of working and instead working within the framework of the FAA, uh, we've been able to make an impact. I'm not saying nobody else has made an impact. What I am saying is that our impact has been documented. So, And Race Day um, Quads is taking the com combative approach. So, Absolutely. And I don't fault any, I don't fault them for that. It's fine. Um, I don't fault anybody for any approach that they choose to take as long as the result yields what we need it to, to you know, be. 
Um, but also keep in mind that, you know, being combative doesn't gain you long-term viability. And we as an organization um, are, are seeking that long-term viability so that we can continue to affect change down the road. Um, so I just don't want to, I don't, I don't want to burn bridges and not be able to, you know, be in on the conversations when we need to be in on them. If that makes yeah, sense. Our, our work in the, in the various DAC taskings got us invited to uh, the beyond visual line of sight arc. And that's, you know, it's a, it, it is a very significant uh, piece of work. And so hopefully it will have a significant impact as well. Yeah. I was a little surprised so. this last arc or uh, DAC, this last ACK <laughs> didn't have a new tasking at the end. So everybody gets to take a break, right? And <laughs> I, I'm guessing they're coming up with new taskings related to uh, air mobility. And I would also imagine that uh, the BV loss arc will be a uh, topic of February. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, keep in mind that uh, we are kind of expecting a December-ish drop of uh, CBO uh, um, regulations. Uh, I would expect that at the 11th hour on December 30th or 31st, as per usual when it comes to drone regulations in the FAA. Um, it's almost so, like they've got some uh, sort of a, a reason they have to get them pushed out before the new year or something, but I don't think there is such a thing. It's so weird. <laughs> it's like December is just but like just FAA like... month and then the uh, last minute. Well, it's funny because I wonder if when they did it last time with remote idea, they're like, ah, nobody will notice this. <laughs> and then 53,000 comments rolling <laughs> and they're just like, Can you imagine if they posted it during a time <laughs> when people were paying attention? Uh, but anywho. Um, all right. So with that, uh, I think we've gone well over um, and I'm going to give you back the evening. Um, thank you for the participation. Uh, we love having uh, you guys talk and, and uh, give us some feedback and, and even just chatting in the discord is, is great. So um, we will be here. What? Let's see. Hold on. Oh, yeah. It's two weeks yeah. Thanksgiving or not. Are we going to be off in two weeks? Nope, that's the 17th, so we should be groovy. Uh, it's the week after that. Uh, so. Okay. But, so uh, see yeah. you guys all in two weeks? We'll be good on the 17th. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> And with that, have a great night. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.